Let us pray. O God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. They can be made of gold, encrusted with jewels. They can be pieces of jewelry worn around the neck. They can be made of nails. They can be just as simple as two pieces of wood stuck together at right angles. They can display Christ in agony or Christ in glory. But whatever form crosses take, the cross is the central symbol of our faith. And we honor it today, the only feast day of the Christian year that honors an object rather than people or events. On the island of Iona off the coast of Scotland, where there's been a Christian community since the sixth century, you can climb to the top of the highest hill on the island and you can look out in all directions at sea and sky and mountains. And then you can look down and right at the bottom of the hill, you see the medieval abbey of Iona, cross-shaped, lying heavy on the land, anchoring you in the midst of that vast expanse, anchoring you to a reality, to a truth, deeper than all others anchoring you to a deep magic before the dawn of time, as C.S. Lewis would put it. Now on the face of it, the cross as an object of veneration and honor does not make a lot of sense. I've tried to explain this to my son many times and he really doesn't get it. <laughs> to think as the Christ hymn in Philippians claims, that God would highly exalt Christ after he died a shameful death on the cross, or to think that the cross is the means of God's glorification, as John claims in John's gospel, seems absurd on the face of it. It makes more sense to think of God's power and sovereignty in the way that Isaiah describes it, because God in Isaiah just simply says, I am God and there is no other, I am all-powerful, turn to me and be saved. To, ev to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. In the Lord is triumph and glory. It makes more sense to think of God's victory as that of a mighty warrior, as Psalm 98 does. For Isaiah and for Psalm 98, God is to be worshipped because God is powerful, God is victorious in battle, God is an inexorable ruler to whom all give way and whose sovereignty all immediately see and acknowledge. But Paul's letter to the Philippians and the Gospel of John speak of God's sovereignty and power only in the paradoxical and seemingly nonsensical language of the cross. In Philippians, Paul quotes an early Christian hymn that describes Christ giving up all equality of status with God, emptying himself, taking on the form of the enslaved and dying a shameful death on a cross, the mode of torture and execution reserved for the lowliest of criminals. 
And then from that lowest point, from that place of farthest distance from God's glory and power, God exalts Christ, gives him the name that's highest of all so that every knee would bow to him and every tongue confess him and Lord and glorify God in doing so. Unlike in Isaiah, the sovereignty, the power, the glory do not come about by a mighty victory in battle, a show of power such as one would expect from the God of all creation, but instead come about by suffering, shame, and death. The Gospel of John makes an even stronger claim about the cross, not just that God exalts and glorifies Christ through the cross or after Christ's death on the cross, but precisely on the cross itself. Describing the cross in today's passage, Jesus says, I, when I am lifted up, will all, draw all people to myself. And the narrator immediately exclaims, explains, he said this to indicate the kind of death he would die. So clearly on one level, when he talks about being lifted up, he's talking about the cross being lifted high on a hill so that all can see his shame. But this word lifted up, like many of those words in the Gospel of John, has layers and layers of meaning and can mean two almost contradictory things. So on one level, lifted up means being nailed up on this cross of shame. But on the other hand, lifted up refers to the exaltation and enthronement of a monarch. To be lifted up is to be given the place of greatest honor. And so what John is saying in using this ambiguous word is that the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth is also at the very same time the glorification of God and the glorification of Christ by God. It's the moment when the fullness of God's purposes for the world are revealed. Purposes described earlier in John's gospel when Jesus says that he must be lifted up so that all who believe in him may have eternal life and that it was because of God's love for the world that God gave God's only son for that purpose. It is because God's sovereignty is the purpose and the power of love and is accomplished through love that God's sovereignty is revealed most fully on the cross. The kingdom of love cannot be revealed as fully in any other way. The God of love cannot be glorified as fully in any other way. And that means that the cross completely redefines what sovereignty and power and lordship actually mean. Power looks no longer like violence or domination. It looks like suffering love. As Paul says in the first letter to the Corinthians, the cross shows the weakness of God, which is stronger than human strength, and the folly of God, which is wiser than human wisdom. The cross confounds all our earthly values because it is the triumph of love, which looks so little like the way we measure value, power, or wisdom according to our worldly standards. It is love, the cross is love that goes, God's love, that goes into a far country, as Karl Barth describes it, that travels to the very depths of human suffering and evil, that takes into God's own body the annihilating power of death itself, 
And precisely by taking all of this into God's very being, stretching out God's arms wide enough to take all of this in, embraces and transforms and redeems it and defeats it. That is the deep magic from before the dawn of time, a paradoxical magic that can only be experienced and never fully rationally grasped. It is the deep cruciform truth that anchors us in time and space and makes sense of even the worst that we have to endure. Maybe that's partly why it's hard to grasp the meaning and power of the cross until you have really suffered. Until you have not only encountered evil and death, but they have smote you in your very being. And it's only when that happens that in the words of the old hymn, we can say that the cross is wondrous when we gaze upon it. When I survey the wondrous cross, we can grasp Maybe only once we've really suffered the mysterious way that on the cross our sins and sufferings are redeemed and how this happens in part because God works through our very suffering to teach us wisdom and compassion. It's not that God causes suffering, but that God makes God's presence and power known in the midst of it to transform our suffering, to help us grow through and in it into the full stature of Christ. God works through our vulnerabilities and weaknesses as much as through our strengths and gifts. A truth, a cruciform truth that is very important for Christian leaders to remember. That is the saving foolishness of the cross. The weakness that is stronger than human strength and the wisdom that is wiser than human wisdom. To call the cross wondrous, to venerate it as we do today, is to know in our daily lives that we can trust even those experiences of suffering and vulnerability that seem otherwise overwhelming, that we can trust even the valley of the shadow of death, because we trust that God is in the midst of all of it. We know and trust that God is working through and in all of it, stretching out God's arms to hold it with us and to receive it from us. All of this to accomplish our fullness of life and allow us to be a blessing to others and even as strange as it might seem, to make God's glory known. And when we see this, and when we call the cross wondrous, and when we venerate it, we can also resolve to give our lives yet more fully to the one who gave all of God's self for us. And to say in the world's words of that old hymn, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all.